his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We aren't really sure what the date is. Let's say June 1, for argument's sake, that the United States could default on its debts. And right now... Uh, President Biden would like to raise the debt ceiling without condition so the United States can continue to borrow money, pay its bills, and move forward. Now, Speaker of the House McCarthy and the GOP would like to get some budget cuts in return for raising the debt ceiling. I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And joining us to sort all of this out, how bad could it be? Uh, Mark Goldwine, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, a Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Mark, good evening. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mark, do, do I have it about right? President Biden's saying, let's raise debt limit, no conditions, we'll talk budget later. GOP is saying, we'll do that, but we want significant budget cuts now. Oh, uh, yeah, you pretty much summed it up, although they do now appear to be entering actual budget negotiations. Yeah, and that that's interesting to me because we've we've been here before and the the scenario was similar. Uh, there was a Democrat in the White House, the GOP was in control, and there were some budget concessions once upon a time. This is actually pretty typical of okay. debt limits. If we go back to the 1980s, the Grand Rudman Hollands um, deficit reduction targets were on debt limit. If we go to the 90s, all three major budget deals, 1990, 93, 97, were on debt limit. Uh, as you mentioned, 2011, the budget caps were part of a debt limit. In 2010, we put statutory pay go and uh, launched the fiscal commission. So it's actually been pretty normal for budget negotiations and debt limit to go hand in hand. Some would say, though, that playing chicken in this way, if you will, is probably a bad idea, that it would be better just raise the debt limit, talk budget later. Uh, I mean, I think in an ideal world, we would just be able to follow the actual budget process and get our debt under control. Um, And nobody thinks that this is the ideal way to do this. And we absolutely cannot threaten the full faith and credit of the U.S. and cannot risk a default. With that said, um, it, it has been pretty normal for deficit reduction conversations and debt limit conversations to happen at the same time. And so long as everybody agrees at the end of the day we are going to raise the debt limit, uh, there, there's nothing per se wrong with that. Uh, Mark Goldwine joining us, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, Committee for a Responsible 
federal budget. Um, this goal of getting a balanced budget seems out of reach that, you know, where we're at right now, is it, is it even doable? It, it, it's not, certainly not in the next uh, decade. You'd have to cut all spending, if you did the spending side, by about a quarter. If you were to take defense, veterans, Social Security, and Medicare off the table, you'd have to cut all spending by 80%. Uh, that's obviously ridiculous. We're not going to get rid of 80% or even a quarter of government. Uh, if you bring the tax code in, it gets a bit easier. But uh, I, I don't think balance is a realistic target. A realistic target is to get our debt to just stop growing so fast, to stop growing faster than the economy. And that means we can still borrow, but maybe not $2 trillion a year, which is where we're headed. Yeah, and Mark, there's always this talk about you know the the third rail of politics. Anytime there's a discussion about entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, that that just doesn't fly. And then any candidate for political office that brings up the idea that you know we may need to cut defense spending, uh, that that's that's also dangerous territory. For, for someone running for political office or trying to hang on to a political office, but beyond the big four, you know, what, what really can be done? Well, I, I do think we can start with discretionary spending caps, and those should apply both to defense and non-defense. But you make a really good point. Look, the three largest government programs are Social Security, Medicare, and defense. If you're not willing to touch those, and if you're not willing to touch the tax code, and by the way, both parties agree no taxes for 98% of Americans. Uh, there's not much we can do. So we do need to de-electrify these third rails a little bit. Maybe start by finding some policies in healthcare that lower costs without actually reducing benefits. Yeah, I, I've also seen the defense numbers. And, I, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I have all the answers. But when you look at what the United States spends on defense and then take the next 10, 12 countries. We've all seen the list. I I, I think the United States outspends the next 9 or 10 combined in defense. Is is that really reasonable? And and it doesn't seem like we can have a reasonable discussion uh, about it without people getting all fired up. Uh, Yeah, it's it's hard to have a reasonable discussion in this city, but I don't see how defense can be off the table for discussion. Uh, every part of the budget has waste. So, look, we could look big picture. Are we spending too much on defense? Are we doing too much uh, relative to other countries? But we don't have to get that far. We can just look at sort of the wasteful bloat at the bureaucracy, at the weapon systems that nobody wants, but we keep doing because they're in some congressman's district. Um, and we can get a lot of savings there before even having to look seriously at force structure, um, at mission, at things like that. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because for years I've talked to uh, a writer who's covered the space program for a long time. And I think this is a a clear example we can lay out to our listeners. And and I, I, I've talked to Robert Zimmerman, who has a website behind the black, and he's written many books about the space program. And he wrote a policy paper about the gigantic space launch system that, launched recently it was artemis one and it was uh put together parts from the space shuttle and 
Congress had a lot of say in how this thing, uh, this, this multi-billion dollar system, billions over budget, took much longer to launch. It launched once. It may launch again in a couple of years. It may return astronauts to the moon before the end of the decade. It, it may. Prohibitively expensive. When in reality, private enterprise companies like SpaceX are, are doing similar things much cheaper, much more efficiently. That, that to me, is a perfect example. And, and Bob Zimmerman has talked about that on these airwaves before. That's just one example of, do we really need to do the space launch system as it's currently configured, or does this just keep a lot of Congress, uh, members of Congress happy because it's spreading jobs and money around the country? Yeah, and we see this in program to program. And if you look at infrastructure, how much more we spend for the federal government to do infrastructure versus private infrastructure. Um, it's ridiculous. And some of it is, as you said, it's the members of Congress trying to get theirs in their district. But a lot of it is a really arduous permitting process and so much red tape uh, that just makes it impossible to do things efficiently. Yeah, there also seems to be, um, if, if this project were fair, and I, I don't know how your group feels about it, but it seems as though in this particular bill that uh, Speaker McCarthy put forward uh, the, the, the trying to get uh, the debt limit raised and in turn uh, get some concessions and some budget reductions, um, there, there were some things that were left untouched, that there were congressmen from farm states that... Uh, uh, members of Congress from farm states that said, well, we've got to keep ethanol subsidies. I mean, if we're going to have an honest discussion, shouldn't everything be on the table? Uh, Everything has to be on the table if we're going to get our debt under control. Um, We put out a plan a few months ago that was about $8 trillion, and we looked at farm subsidies, we looked at Medicare, we looked at Medicaid, we looked at Social Security, we looked at defense, we looked at... uh, Carbon taxes, taxes on the rich, capital gains. You really have to look at everything if you're going to actually solve this problem. That being said, incremental progress is still progress. And so if we can get some of the lower hanging fruit now, we should grab it. Um, you, you brought up something earlier, and, and I think we should circle back around to this. A default is a really, really bad idea. In any way, shape, or form. I mean, if it does take some sort of budget compromise to raise the debt ceiling, that needs to be done, correct? We absolutely need to raise or suspend the debt ceiling. The best case scenario, if we don't, is that the president needs to break a bunch of laws and stop paying people money that they're owed, whether it's government contractors or uh, hospitals or social security beneficiaries. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that we miss a payment on our debt and we blow up the entire global financial system and we have a huge financial crisis. And it could be anything in between. And even getting close to default could rock the financial market. So we absolutely, without equivocation, need to raise or suspend the debt limit. Yeah, I, I am certainly no financial expert, but uncertainty is a bad thing. Uh, no, no question. I mean, we need to do this. We should have done this months ago. 
Um, right now, we're at the point that we don't actually know when we're going to hit the debt limit. It might be in three weeks. It might be in two months. We don't know yet. Um, but we shouldn't have come this close that we have to worry. We should have done this months ago. Um, when, when, you, when you look at this problem and, and you said it, it will take years and years of discipline, one of the things I, I've heard along the way and uh, earlier in my career covering news, I spent time in South Dakota, uh, paid attention here in the state of Minnesota, that it depends on what, what party's in power, but even if we just held the line, that there are things like built-in spending increases and cost of living increases, et cetera, that, that sometimes a budget cut really isn't a budget cut. It's just a reduction in the size of the increase uh, of the budget in front of us. And that's where it gets confusing for people, I think, that they don't really understand the numbers. Cuts might not be cuts. It's just like, no, we're just going to hold spending at 2023 levels and we're not going to spend any more and particular budgets are not going to grow. Uh, that's exactly right. And to, to add to the confusion, we measure relative to uh, sort of current law projections where different programs grow at different rates. So, for example, um, what would be a cut for Social Security would actually be an increase for defense because our budget basically assumes defense is going to grow two and a half a year and Social Security is going to grow five a year. Um, but we could solve this without cutting. I mean, we have to cut certain things, but without cutting overall, we could solve this by just slowing the growth of Social Security, slowing the growth of Medicare, slowing the growth of Medicaid, slowing the growth of defense, um, and increasing the growth of revenue a little bit, maybe by slowing the growth of tax breaks. We don't need to cut things back to 2015 levels or anything like that. We just need to stop them from growing faster and faster. Um, what, one final thought on that when it comes to, for instance, a, entitlements, raising retirement ages, a, a, et cetera, uh, raising the age of eligibility uh, for for Medicare, et cetera. Does, does that stuff really work, or is it just kicking the can down the road? No, I think that, uh, look, we're not going to fix the whole budget by raising retirement ages, but part of what's driving this rising cost is that people are spending more and more years on Social Security, more and more years on Medicare. So adjusting the age to account for rising life expectancy when it is rising, that can help account for that. It can also provide an economic boost because it encourages people to work longer. And it turns out, we know from the literature, that most people that retire later end up healthier, they end up happier, they end up wealthier, uh, they have lower divorce rates, lower rates of drinking, lower rates of TV watching. So it's the type of thing that could actually be beneficial to a lot of the workers as well as to the economy and to the budget. All right, uh, Mark, final thoughts. Some of these other ideas that if if the White House and Congress aren't able to get together on a deal with, with cuts that uh, the GOP-led House uh, want, and uh, President Biden's just saying, no, I, I want the, the debt limit increase. We'll talk budget later. If they aren't able to get a deal done, there's other things like the 14th Amendment or minting a trillion-dollar coin, all gimmicks. Um, is, is that even reality, or is that, that just fantasy? You know, they might be slightly better than an outright default, but I think they're very risky. It's not clear the markets would see them any differently. And it just announces to the world that we're a banana republic. What we need to do 
is talk to each other. The president and the speaker need to come to a deal to raise the debt limit, and they need to do it soon. Um, before we let you go, Mark, a l- little bit about uh, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. How do people find out more? Yeah, check out our website at crfb.org. We are a nonpartisan, totally nonpartisan organization that's focused on educating the public and working with uh, the Hill and Congress and the media on issues related to the federal budget and the economy at large. Well, Mark, good to visit with you. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Mark Goldwine, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.